Welcome to McKnight's Newsmakers Podcast, where we share the latest information from industry leaders. I am so pleased to be joined by Jake Rothstein, founder and CEO of Upside Home. Jake, good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Diane, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. As a fairly young entrepreneur, you have been such a pioneer when it comes to services for seniors. Uh, you co-founded PAPA, the Family on Demand service, and now you are devoting all of your attention to Upside Home. If you don't mind, could you just take a few m minutes um, to tell us what the business model is, how it works, and how you got the idea for it? Sure, yeah. Um, so we are building the biggest senior living community in the world without laying a single brick. And we work with existing multifamily apartment operators. Um, we secure units for our older adult residents. And then we layer on very simple access to a whole host of services that allow for you know, easy support and, um, and IADL type of support services for, for those residents, um, plus a sense of community. So really a sort of deconstructed senior living community, if you will. How did you get the idea for this? It's personal, uh, you know, so we started Papa because of my grandfather. Uh, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and my grandmother was trying to care for him and it was a struggle. And so we needed some extra support and came up with the concept for Papa Pals. And then my grandmother, once my grandfather moved into traditional senior living, he needed to go into memory care. She found herself completely alone. Uh, so she was here now 87, a healthy, otherwise healthy person, um, but found herself completely alone. And she was living in this big house and she had recently just had uh, knee replacement surgery. She couldn't walk up the stairs. She couldn't drive at night. She didn't like driving at night anymore within a, you know, outside a three mile radius. So it was really a personal situation she found herself in this in this um at this weird time in her life and we wound up selling her house uh to extend her financial runway but also to increase her mobility and access we got her an apartment in the same neighborhood in the community that she knew and loved and i acted as this person that helped her with all this different stuff right i helped her go to the grocery store and i helped her drive at night and i helped her go to the bank to pay her rent and that's what we're now calling the home manager. So it all came out of this personal need. I go, well, this can't, my grandmother cannot be the only person who finds herself in her 80s and alone all of a sudden for the first time in her life um, without the ability to do all of these little things that she used to be able to do or that she used to rely on my grandfather to do. Um, so we came up with the, the initial concept for Upside Home was how can we build like golden girls houses, have fully managed golden girls houses. Maybe my grandmother would love to live with her friends and get a bedroom in a house, but there was no real platform for making that easy for people. It would, it would mean to do it a few years ago, it would mean that one person had to take the risk on a mortgage or on a, on a lease. And someone had to figure out how to deal with the lawn, you know, the landscaping people and the maintenance stuff. And so we said, well, how can we just completely contain that whole experience and create this platform that allows someone like my grandmother to either live with friends or live on her own, but do it in this very fully managed type of way. And that and that was the sort of the beginnings of Upside Home. We then realized not not long after working with some single family homes that it was gonna be really hard to scale um, that model in single family just because of maintenance and because it was hard to provide consistency across different uh, locations. And so, and, and the other thing was we started realizing from our prospects that they wanted the amenity amenities that were provided in a lot of these newer multifamily complexes, right? They wanted security, they wanted gyms on site, they wanted a pool, um, and they wanted granite countertops and, and things that, that you know people of all ages want. 
And so we started working with multifamily industry. Uh, and that does a number of things for us. It provides this consistent supply, right? And uh, it also provides a lot of the features and amenities that people are really looking for. It kind of sounds like the people that are moving in are fairly highly functioning. They're fairly independent. But as these people age, and we hear about people wanting to age in place, how do you appeal to those people and help them stay in those apartments? Are you going to be adding other services, home care, home health care, that kind of thing? Yeah, and we already do. So we do a really deep intake process, right? Uh, and our, I just want to emphasize that our residents are across a very wide spectrum of acuity. That we have residents that are 60 years old. Uh, we have residents that are 90 years old. And so, and everyone in between, and they're at varying levels of acuity. And so they all have different needs. And our approach is to be very customized. Um, and we can be very customized because we're leveraging third-party service providers that are vetted and, and pre-qualified by us that can provide many of these services. As an example, we're partnered with PAPA for companionship and assistance. So as a leaseholder or as a member of Upside Home, you get two PAPA PAL visits a month uh, that come you know, that come to your home to help you with whatever you might need help with. Um, if you do need home care, we have home care partners in all of the local markets that we operate in. So we, we can provide that flexibility and, uh, and do it in an on-demand way for, you know, as people move up the acuity chain and and uh, up the care continuum. If and when it becomes prob you know if if and when it becomes a, a challenge to the point where we realize that someone is no longer safe to live on their own or their family realizes that they're no longer safe to live on their own for you know physical or um, cognitive uh, cognitive issues, we help them move to a traditional senior living. So we really we are very synergistic with traditional senior living communities locally um, because a lot of times people, either can't afford to move into those types of communities yet or a word all, um, or they're just not ready for it. And so we can provide that much easier transition from either the single family home that you raise your kids in uh, or wherever you were living before to all the way to and through uh, traditional senior living. My understanding too, is when you lease out these apartments or where you look for these apartments, you try to find the ones that are located to like a YMCA or a Jewish community center or something like that. It almost sounds to me like you're sort of developing something that sounds almost like a PACE program. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we are being very thoughtful about where we locate our, our available communities and available apartments um, around community centers that have fantastic senior programming. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, older adults just don't know where to go for these resources. And so what we say is we're not only an advocate and a resource for you to find and, and engage with these things that are already going on in your neighborhood and your community, um, but we actually help you get there, like physically and you know figuratively. We, we really want to make sure that you're participating in an, and, be, and continuing to be an active member of your community, which we know that social engagement has uh, an effect, a positive effect on health outcomes and on longevity and on wellness. And so we're really building a wellness first type of community where not only are you connected to the people that are like-minded to you in your building, in your geography, but also to the people that are already living in your community uh, and participating in these types of programming. Uh, and how, how many members do you have to date? And you're, you're mostly, if not exclusively in Florida, correct? Yeah, we're operating all, across all three counties. I can't disclose number of members today, but we're growing really, really rapidly. Um, revenue is growing month over month, and we have thousands of units available across all three counties, uh, and that's across 200 communities right now. Has COVID been a problem for you? 
you know, COVID has been a double-edged sword. I th I'd say, I'd say, at the beginning of COVID, there was this hesitancy, right, to to moving to moving at all. Mm -hmm. um, however, there has been an accelerated interest in something that's an alternative to traditional senior living um, for people that might need some extra support. And so, I'd say it's there's been an incredible amount of interest in our in our platform. And now we're seeing as people are vaccinated and as people are getting more comfortable, we're seeing that accelerated interest uh, translate to accelerated move-in. So COVID's been, I, I'd say it's been helpful for us overall if you're looking at the big picture. Um, but I think we, we, you know, at the beginning, we, we sort of launched initially a, a minimum viable product uh, at the beginning of 2020, February, March of 2020. Um, and we had to sort of get our feet on the ground at the beginning of that, like the rest of the world did. As you look out, um, are you looking to expand? I'm guessing you're looking to expand. And would you be looking at like the Southeast? Where would you be looking to grow this? Yeah, we're looking at expanding nationally now. So our, the good thing is, is that our community relationships, our, our um, you know, operator relationships with the, on the real estate side are all national in scope. So we're building those relationships now um, to, to, and thinking about the future, not just in the Southeast, but across the country and even the world. Um, and so, yeah, we have very big ambitions uh, in terms of uh, in terms of growth forecasting. When you and I talked the last time, it's been a little over a year ago, I believe. You were talking about connecting with Medicare Advantage plans to offer some sort of reimbursement for some of the services that you offer um, people involved in Upside Home. Where do things stand with that? Yeah, we're having those conversations and they're getting deeper and deeper by the day. So we really, there, there, there's a very interesting play here uh, in terms of catering to a Medicare Advantage population because we're able to control a variety of social determinants of health um, in a controlled but a non-institutionalized environment, which is very appealing both to the, you know, to the member, to our member and to Medicare Advantage members. So yes, we're, uh, we're in conversations with Medicare, with a variety of Medicare Advantage um, providers, both in Florida and beyond. Um, to, to see how we can work together. Are you encouraged at all um, by what you're seeing right now in, in Congress and in Washington? The Biden administration originally wanted to fund HCBS, home and community-based services by 400 billion. It looks like that money has been cut down more recently in the house by 150 billion. What kind of funding do you think is gonna be out there? And, and do you see Upside Home benefiting at all from some of this money? You know, I think it's too soon to say um, if, we'll be, if we'll benefit or if our residents will benefit from, from the, what's going on in Congress uh, and in the White House. I, I think that one of the things that we'll see is that it's, it's not enough. It's not gonna be enough. Uh, and we're gonna need to continue to do this and continue to, you know, to, to think bigger and think outside the box in terms of how all of this is gonna be funded. Um, it's it's daunting. The task ahead mm -hmm. of all of us is really daunting as a society. Um, as you know, the demographic shift is upon us. Uh, it's going to be increasingly challenging by the day to figure out how to provide quality housing for older adults that just don't have that, that don't meet the income requirements and don't have the um, don't have the capital or the assets to to live with these types of supported ser supportive services for the rest of their lives. So I think that the government's going to have no choice but to step in. Um, when it happens and how big it happens is going to be the is the big question mark. It continues to be, but yeah, I mean, we saw this at the beginning of Papa before Medicare Advantage was willing to, or even thought about helping to subsidize services like loneliness abatement programs to try and improve health outcomes. That wasn't even a thing when we started. 
Um, and so, you know, I think we're going to see the same thing in housing. Yeah. And you talked about thinking outside of the box and you talked about um, initiatives coming from Washington. But what about from the private sector? And you certainly are coming from the private sector. Does the private sector need to get more involved in this? Do there need to be like public private partnerships to sort of address this issue with senior housing and senior services? You know, I think it's going to have to be a joint effort. Um, the private sector needs to be appropriately incentivized. I mean, there's not enough low income housing for older adults. They're just not anywhere near enough. And so, um, you know, the, but the, the private sector needs to be incentivized appropriately to build the right, you know, to build the right communities that are going to house people that are going to, that we're going to need to house people. Um, so I, I'd say that the, you know, the, the drive comes from, or the execution comes from the private sector, the funding's going to have to come from the public sector. It's going to have to be some sort of public-private partnership to, to, to meet the, the challenges and the demands of... You have a different perspective, and certainly the whole senior service, senior housing um, sector, home care, home health care, has been operating kind of the same way for the last several decades. Sure. Going forward, though, we've got a new demographic. We have baby boomers, and they're going to be living longer, and they certainly want something different. And it sounds like you know, the same senior industry maybe hasn't been addressing those needs or it maybe hasn't been looking forward. I mean, what do you think? How do you think this needs to evolve as we go forward over the next 20 or 30 years? I think it's it's very interesting what's happening, right? Because this the senior living industry has evolved to the point that it's at now and it serves a a very important purpose in society, but it's become a care driven product. And so, you know, as people are living longer and they're living with a better quality of life for longer, that product is is becoming attractive or is is a sort of a need based product for an older adult, for a, for a significantly older adult than, than what was originally intended for. And so we're seeing this gap being created in the lower acuity, in the younger older adult uh, segment where there's nothing been nothing has been filled. Uh, and that's where we really want to come in and to provide that really easier, um, you know, the easier transition to if, if, if and when you do need traditional senior housing. But the interesting thing is, is that, you know, when you're tied to a physical asset, it becomes really challenging to to think so much outside the box. And so I think senior living operators also the same way we're trying to think outside the box, senior living operators will have to try and think outside the box in terms of catering to the to the demands and to the wants of baby boomers which are different than the wants of uh, their parents and you know flexibility optionality um uh is really important to the to the boomer demographic we're finding it every day people are calling us and they're like well we really want a covered screened in porch can you offer that and we're able to provide that in the geographies that they want because we have a lot of flexibility in terms of our supply uh, whereas a traditional senior living community can't provide that type of flexibility. It's, it's much harder for them to do that. The other thing that we're seeing is that because of the advent of the gig economy, this tech-enabled gig economy, right, we're able to provide services to people if and when they need them, but not if and when they don't. And so not only can people live more flexibly, flexibly they can live um, with the support that they need and only pay for that support uh, when they need it. And so if you still cook, but you're moving to a traditional, you know, IL community, you're paying for two meals a day in that kitchen in the, you know, in the dining room that you may or may not use. Or if you still drive, you're paying, you're helping to pay 
for the cost of that bus that sits out front, that's you know, the depreciating asset that sits out front of the senior living community, even if you don't need to uh, arrive to the grocery store twice a week. So boomers are demanding more flexi flexibility because they're seeing it in their everyday lives already. They already have that flexibility. So they want to just continue to live the way they've been living. Um, whereas in the previous generations, we didn't have, we just didn't have that. And so the whole infrastructure was built around the technology that existed 30 years ago, which was limited. Uh, and so we all have to think about how we shift that. Also, as we move people into the home, one of the things, and we, we realized this during COVID, there's this, if you're living by yourself, there's this sense of isolation. And we know that social isolation and loneliness can lead to other health problems. So how important is it to address that with a concept like yours or other concepts that move people out of facility living and, in, and back into their homes and their communities? It's critically important. It might be the most important. So community we're finding is not only the one of the things that are, is most important to people when they come to us. Well, who am I going to be living with? Who am I going to be living around? Are they like-minded? Do they have similar interests to us? Um, and I think that one of the things that COVID's done that's positive is it's it increased the adoption of technology among older adults. Obviously, we're seeing this, we're hearing this, right? But the truth is, is that they are all of our residents, the 60-year-old and the 90-year-old, and everyone in between. Is pretty, they're pretty adept with technology uh, as out of necessity. And so that gives us this incredible opportunity that I don't think anyone in the senior living uh, you know, market has had up until now to connect people both virtually and in person using technology and to create that community, whether it's in the walls of the complex that you're operating in or in the, you know, in the confines of a zip code or a, a county. And so that's a really powerful thing. And when I say like we're building a big, the biggest senior living community in the world without laying a brick, that means we're using technology to build this big senior living community. And we can tie all of the services and all of the people and all the community pieces of this, you know, this whole concept together using technology instead of brick and mortar. And how do you leverage that technology going forward? Is it connecting somebody that's at home with other like-minded people? Is it services or both? It's varied, right? It's, it's, there's nuance here. So I think that a lot of people, and I just had, a, I just um, was at the Nick conference in Houston yesterday, and we, there, there was a discussion around technology and senior living. And I think that we oversimplify, we tend to oversimplify technology's ability to drive community and to drive efficiency and to drive all these things. It's not about just building an app and putting it in front of an older adult and saying, hey, you can order your food like this, or you can talk to one of your friends on this. But it's about how we use technology to deliver an experience, an ultimate experience. Like, what are we trying to deliver? And how do we use technology to deliver that and, and to please our customers and to please our members um, and to have create these delightful in interactions and delightful experiences? So, yes, maybe sometimes it's putting a really greatly designed app in front of them, but maybe it's also sometimes giving your staff the ability to use really great technology so that they can coordinate a service or a grocery order or a meal delivery that just shows up at your door and it's like magic. And uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the older adult is engaging with that technology directly. It means that technology is operating in the background to create these fantastic experiences. So I think that we have to think about technology differently than I think we've thought about it in the past. It's fundamental to everything that we'll do because it enables all of these different disparate services and, and you know community connectivity. It enables all of that to happen, but in not in the way you'd sort of think about it initially. Great conversation, great thoughts. Jake Rothstein, Upside Home, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Diane. Really appreciate it.
Thanks for listening to McKnight's Newsmakers podcast. We hope you'll join us again.